About 2,500 years ago, there was a man by the name of Zechariah. He's not the most popular person in terms of name recognition, but he's a very important person. He's one of the minor prophets. He wrote a book. It's the next to the last book in that little section of minor prophets at the end of the Old Testament. There are 12 books there. And the next to the last one is the book of Zechariah. It is also the longest of the minor prophets. Most of the minor prophets are anywhere from one chapter to four chapters. Zechariah is 14 chapters. His message is very complex. It's also uh, very intricate. There's no way we can cover everything that Zechariah says in one single message or even one single series of messages But what he says to us is still significant because he's speaking to some people who are a lot like you and me. And he's saying to them a message that I believe God is also saying to us. Now, I'm going to treat uh, this book a little bit different than how I've been treating the rest of. Normally, when I get up to To preach, I will will read a a passage of Scripture, and then we'll just go through that Scripture in the sermon. But there's there's a different way that I want to tackle Zechariah, because there are four different passages of Scripture that I want us to look at. And in each of those four different passages, he, he gives a different description of God. A different description of God. And so what I want to do today is just the opposite of what I normally do. I want to go ahead and give you each description and then take you to the Scripture to see where that description is revealed by Zechariah. Before we do that, I think it's important that you know that the name Zechariah means God remembers. God remembers. It's a significant name. I believe when Zechariah was born and his mom and dad gave him the name Zechariah, it was providential. In other words, God had a role in it because he, God knew that Zechariah would grow up to be a, a spokesman for God for a people who, who had come to the place where they believed God had forgotten them. They believed God had abandoned them. And so it was very important for these people who felt abandoned by God to hear a message from God that said, God hasn't abandoned you, God remembers you. And He remembers the promises, He remembers the promises that He has made to you. Let me give you a little bit of a timeline, All right, You'll have to watch me. I'm going to go from this wall to that wall, uh, the time farthest away to time closer to where we are. Are you with me, everybody? Nod your head if you are. The year is 722 B.C. Long, long time ago, you have two nations, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. They make up the people of God, but you have the northern kingdom of, what was it? And the southern kingdom of, tell me. They make up the people of God. In 722, the superpower was Assyria. And Assyria came into the northern kingdom of Israel and obliterated it, destroyed it. It was gone. And so after 722, there's only one nation, and that nation is the southern kingdom of Judah. 
and they rock along from 722 until uh, roughly 600 B.C. We're moving down the timeline. Around 600 B.C., the, the, uh, the world power is no longer Assyria, it's Babylon. And the Babylonians, sometime just after 600 B.C., come down into Judah. And around 588, they surround the city of Jerusalem, the capital of Judah. And they sit there for two years. And they don't let any food go in. They don't let anybody escape out. And over a two-year period, they wasted the city of Jerusalem and her inhabitants down to nothing. And at the end of that two-year period, in 586 B.C., after they had wasted the inhabitants of Jerusalem to nearly nothing, they invaded the city of Jerusalem and they destroyed her walls and they destroyed her temple. And they carried the best and brightest of the people far away into Babylonian captivity, about 700 miles away from their homeland. That was 586 B.C. Jerusalem lay in ruins. Some of the people were left behind to live among the rubble. The rest of them were carried into Babylon. And from 586 B.C., they lived in Babylon. They built houses. They built families. And along about 539 B.C., Cyrus, the king of Persia, and the Persians invaded Babylon. And so now, no longer is Babylon the world power, it's Persia. And Cyrus looked around him in Persia and in what used to be Babylon, and he said, we have a lot of Israelites here, a lot of people from Judah here. We need to let them go home. And so in 539, he sent them home, at least uh, a number of them, Most of the people decided to stay in Persia, but about 42,000 of them went home for the purpose of rebuilding the temple. When they got to the temple, there was a fellow by the name of Zerubbabel who headed up the building of the temple. They laid the foundation and they started building the the initial founding blocks of of that great temple. But because of discouragement and opposition and uh, economic recession, they stopped building. And from 539 B.C. to 520 B.C., for 18, 19 years, the foundation lay there, but nobody would build. And the temple lay unfinished. In 520 B.C., God sent two prophets. One of them was Haggai. We we looked at him last week. The other one was a fellow by the name of Zechariah. Their purpose was to encourage the people to get back up and complete the work of God in building the temple. Haggai's message was very straightforward. Get up and build the temple. Why do you sit there while the the building of God, the house of God, lays in ruins? You're building your houses, build God's house. Zechariah's message was the same, except also Zechariah realized that the people needed hope to motivate them. And the best hope that he could give them was to remind them that God has remembered them. I want you to know that his message, Zechariah's message, is still important to us even though it's 2,500 years old now because you and I live in a a day that's that's pretty much unlike any day that, that most of us our age have lived. It's a different world. This is a different fall, a different Christmas season than what most of us have experienced. Things are different. 
Some of you are in a position right now that you've never been in before and you finally come to the resigned recognition that life will never be exactly like it was. Oh, it can be better than it is now, but it will never be exactly like it was. And you come to that recognition and it brings sadness to your heart. Some people have recently lost loved ones and and, and by virtue of losing a loved one, life is never going to be exactly the same. Some of you have looked at your life and, and you have changed opinions about God. There were certain things that you did not believe that God would do in your life or certain things that you did not believe God would allow in your life, but he has allowed them. The people of Zechariah's day did not believe that God would allow Jerusalem to fall. This was his city. They did not believe that God would allow the temple in Jerusalem to be destroyed. This was his house. For if there was no other reason at all why he would protect Jerusalem, they thought he would protect Jerusalem because it's the place where his house is, where he dwells. It's the place where Solomon's temple is. But God did allow Jerusalem to fall. God did allow the temple to be destroyed. God did allow his people to be carried away into captive. And even when when they realized that God had allowed the walls of Jerusalem and the temple of Jerusalem to be turned into rubble and they were carried off into uh, Babylonian captivity, even then they said, we're God's people. Even though God has allowed the unthinkable to happen, our temple, our city to be destroyed, he's not going to allow us to stay in Babylonian captivity very long at all. And so they didn't even unpack their suitcases. They said, we're only going to be here a few days, maybe a few weeks. And you remember, if you read over in that wonderful chapter in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, where Jeremiah sent a letter to the captives. And among the things he says to them, he says, you need to unpack your bags and you need to get to know the people around you and you need to make peace with your captors and you need to build some houses and you need to give your husbands to some girls to be their, your daughters-in-law and you need to give your daughters to some guys to be your sons-in-law because you're going to be there a while. They thought that God would act and do in certain ways, and he didn't. And maybe there are people, perhaps in this congregation, who, who you have a great faith in God, a deep faith in God, but you believed that certain things would happen to you that were good if you did certain things. If I read my Bible every day, if I pray every day, if I really try to live right and be a good wife or a good husband or a good child, a good son or good daughter, if I do these things and if I attend church regularly and if I'm active in Sunday school and if I'm here every Wednesday night, then certain good things will happen to me. And all of a sudden, even though you were trying your best to fulfill all of those itemized obligations, things didn't work exactly as you thought God would work. And so you're discouraged to the point of depression and you wonder what's going on. Zechariah has a word for us. It's a word of promise. This God who remembers us, we're not forgotten. This God who remembers us is a God who remembers us by keeping his promises to us. And Zechariah, in four different passages, is going to relate to us four different promises. I want you to see the first promise. Promise number one, the promise of a God who is present. The promise of a God who is present. You see, they thought they were abandoned by God. There are people today who feel abandoned by God. Christians who might feel abandoned by God are not about to tell you 
And the last person they're going to tell is me because none of us wants to be considered or looked upon or perceived to be weak in any way in our faith. And certainly a person who would even entertain the idea that God has abandoned them is a person who's weak, right? I don't know. You know, Jesus is one who felt abandoned. At least that was, those were his words on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If Jesus can feel that way and still be the Son of God, God in flesh, then you can too. Listen what Zechariah says in, in Zechariah chapter 2, verses 10 through 13. Shout and be glad, daughter of Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. The Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. There are three different parts of that passage that uh, really stuck out with me. The first, the first two are those places where God says, I will live among you. He says it twice. He says it in verse 11 or verse 10. Then he repeats it again in verse 11. And then in verse 12, he comes back or verse 13. He says, be still before the Lord because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Where is God's holy dwelling? Well, it's in heaven. But he's roused himself from his holy dwelling. What did Jesus do when he came here? He left his throne in heaven and he came here to be with us. God's promise to us when we feel abandoned is that God is with you even when you don't feel like God is with you. I'm reminded of Isaiah's prophecy, chapter 7, verse 14, where Isaiah said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. And the name Emmanuel means God is with us. So the very first promise that Zechariah gives these hopeless, apparently hopeless, hopeless and apparently abandoned people is that God is present with them. He's reminding them that God is present with them. And then there's a second promise that Zechariah gives these people. This promise is found in Zechariah chapter 4. And that promise is this. It's the promise of a, God, of a God who brings to pass what we cannot bring to pass. He brings to pass what we cannot bring to pass. Have you found yourself recently in your life or maybe at some point in your life you, you are confronted with a situation and you have done everything you can you have you have devised every strategy and every plan you can but nothing seems to work everything you've tried has fallen flat it's fallen short and you have you have just you're wringing your hands and you're throwing your hands up in the air and saying god i can't do this it's bigger than me i can't do this anymore i feel like you've called me to accomplish this but i can't get it done God, you put me in a situation that I just can't resolve. Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. He says, Then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up like someone awakened from sleep. He asked me, What do you see? And I answered him, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top. 
and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there were two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and one on the left. I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And he answered, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Now, Zerubbabel is the general contractor for the temple. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. And here's what he said. Here's the meaning of the vision. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Now what has happened in this passage is, Zechariah sees a vision. It's a vision that he does not understand. There is an angel there who is communicating the vision to him. And the angel says, what do you see? And Zechariah tells him. And Zechariah says, what do these things mean? He didn't understand it. And the angel says, you don't know what they mean. He says, no, I don't know what they mean. He says, here's the meaning of the vision. This is a word from the Lord to the general contractor of the temple, Zerubbabel. And here is the word. It's not going to be by might. It won't be by human power, but it'll be by my spirit, says the Lord. Boy, that's a hard fact to realize. That you and I can't fix what's broken in our world. That you and I can't fix what's broken in our own individual lives. That you and I can't fix what's broken in our church, our churches. If it's to be fixed... If our lives were to be fixed, if our families were to be healed, if our churches are to be thriving, if our nation is to be great, it's going to be by His power, not by our effort, not by our might, and not by our power. Zerubbabel had been looking at the foundations of of this temple for 19 years. Don't you know that every day he thought about, how am I going to get this thing completed? We've been working on this thing 19 years. We can't get it done. I kind of sympathize with him. This is not a message about our building program, but we've been working on it since 2001. And I look at it. We don't even have the foundation out there. And I'm wondering, is this ever going to get done? Will we ever have the money to do this? There have been times recently when I've concluded we will not. And somebody emailed me a message recently from Zechariah quoting the very verse that you see there, verse 6. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Listen, if anything is going to happen here at this church that's worthwhile, it'll be by the spirit of the Lord. If anything happens in your life that's worthwhile, it will not be because of your goodness, although By all means, be good. It won't be because of your power, although do everything you can to please the Lord. It will only be by the Spirit of the Lord. It is by grace that we're saved. It is by grace that we are kept saved. It is by grace that we live our lives with any single sense of meaning and fulfillment at all. This same idea that it's by God's Spirit is echoed throughout the New Testament, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says in verse 10, For Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For he says, when I am weak, then I am strong. And this is the reason why when he writes to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 4, he says, For I can do all things through Christ." who gives me strength. It's not by might, and it's not by power. It's by the Spirit of the Lord, Paul said, that I'm able to do what I do. 
And so Zechariah is speaking to some apparently hopeless people, people who felt abandoned, and he says to them, God promises to be present with you. And second, God promises to accomplish what you cannot in your own power. And then there's a third promise. It's the promise of a God who listens. The promise of a God who listens. I've been a pastor for a little over 26 years. I've had a lot of people come and talk to me about various things. There are times when people have come to talk with me and I've offered them advice and it didn't help. There have been times when people came to me and I would speak and my words offered no solace. But what I have found as I get older is that what seems to help people more than anything when they do come and talk with someone like me is that I would just sit there and keep my eyeballs focused on them and listen to what they've got to say and just keep my mouth shut while they share with me their hurts and their pains and their struggles. There are, there are more times than I can relate to you when people have come to me and they have worked out their own problems just in the sharing of them instead of me offering some sort of nickel and penny advice and counsel that meant nothing to them. People need to know that somebody's listening to them. Zechariah said, not only is God present, and not only is God able to do what you cannot do, but we have a God who is listening to you. Chapter 6, beginning with verse 9, the word of the Lord came to me, said, take silver and gold from the exiles Heldei, Tobijah, and Jedei, who have arrived from Babylon, go the same day to the house of Josiah, son of Zephaniah, and take the silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of the high priest, Yahshua, son of Yasadak. Now, I want to stay right there just for a moment. You're looking at that and you're saying, that's Joshua. In Hebrew, they pronounced it Yahshua. Yahshua. It's spelled Joshua, but it's pronounced Yahshua. Now, watch this. Now, you're still looking at that slide. You know how the Hebrews pronounce the word Jesus? Yahshua. Yahshua. He says, take the silver and gold. He, told the, he said, take the silver and gold from the exiles and have the exiles take that silver and gold, make a crown and put it on Yahshua. Now, Yahshua was, was a priest who worked alongside of Zerubbabel, but there's some typology here, some symbolism that you just don't want to ignore. This Yahshua, which is also the same way you pronounce the name Jesus in Hebrew, he was the son of Yasadak. You probably haven't spent a whole lot of time thinking about the name Yasadak. You know what the name Yasadak means? It means God, our righteousness. In other words, the righteous God. And Yahshua, who in the New Testament is like Jesus, was the son of Yasadak, who means the righteous God. He says, get all the exiles together and have them to take their silver and gold, make a crown, and crown Yahshua, Jesus, who is the son of Yasadak, the righteous God. Do you hear Christmas carols here? Hello? And he's the high priest. A high priest is someone who is a go-between between us and God. 
in the Jewish religion, Judaism, people would come to the high priest and they would share with him the things they wanted God to know and the high priest would carry them to God and the high priest would hear from God and would bring the message back to the people from God. He was an intermediary. When they saw the high priest, they knew they had a God who, here's this, listens. Now get this, verse 12. Tell him, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man, now he's still talking about Yahshua. Here is the man whose name is the Branch, capital B. Branch. And he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord and he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne. And he will be a priest on his throne and there will be harmony between the two. The crown will be given to Heldiah, Tobijah, Jediah, and him, the son of Zephaniah, as a memorial in the temple of the Lord. And those who are far away will come and help build the temple of the Lord. And you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. This will happen if you diligently obey the Lord your God. Branch. Isaiah talked about the branch in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. He says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots, a branch, again, capital B, will bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, and the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He's talking about Jesus. Jeremiah spoke about the branch in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5. He says, the days are coming, declare the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, capital B, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. And in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will, be, will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. Now, who, who, was to, who was to get all that silver and gold and, and go and use it to crown this king, Yahshua? It was the exiles. You know who exiles are? An exile is someone who's living in a country of which they are not a citizen. That's an exile. These people were exiles in Babylon or Persia. You and I are exiles today. We who are Christians, we who have a relationship with Christ, we live here on earth, but we are not citizens of earth. We are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. We are the exiles. And Zechariah is saying to us, when we feel hopeless, when we feel abandoned, when we feel not listened to, listen, take what you have and take who you are and crown Yahshua the king because he's listening to you. He's the son of the righteous God. And so Zechariah comforts these people by reminding them that God listens and he reconciles them to God. And then finally, there's the promise of a God who brings peace. Wherever I go, and people will actually be open enough to, to talk to me about their deepest feelings, which most people don't do that, but among those who do, I hear people desperate for two things. I hear people desperate for hope. And I hear people desperate for peace. Those two things more than anything else. In their personal lives, they're desperate for hope. Give me some hope, preacher. Give me some light at the end of the tunnel that things are going to get better. And they're looking for peace. Preacher, I'm so in turmoil in my heart, in my home. Give, give us some sense of hope that there will be peace. 
Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king, this Yahshua, comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations and his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Again, one can't help but be reminded as you read that passage of a much more familiar passage in the major prophet Isaiah, where Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 9, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, say the rest of it, Prince of Peace. Of his greatness, the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. I don't know what you're going through this Christmas. I don't know what you've been through this year. Some of you have been through situations that I've thought about it, and if I were in your shoes, I don't know how I'd make it. I'm a softy. Some of you people have leather. Boy, you seem to be able to make it through times that I couldn't even fathom making it through. But wherever you are, Zechariah's message, this 2,500-year-old message to you is this, that the Lord is present with you. He's promised to accomplish for you and through you what you cannot possibly accomplish on your own. That He is helping you through what looks to be an, uh, an impossible situation. That He is a listening God. Speak to Him. Tell Him. Be angry if you need to. Shout at Him. Whisper to Him. Sing to Him. Read Scripture back to Him. He's there for you. And He will bring you peace. The God we are preparing for this Christmas is the God who remembers you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are people who have come in this place this morning and they have brought brokenness. There are people who have come into this place this morning and they have things on their hearts that they've been either too embarrassed or too fearful to tell anyone about. And Lord, there are more of those folks than we ever realize. And Lord, we come in here afraid, afraid to tell our fellow Christians because we fear that we'll be judged for it. And so Lord, we come to you. And we hear your prophet, a 2,500-year-old message from a prophet a little older than that, who said, this God is present with you. He actually wants to be with you. He left his home in heaven to be with you. He actually wants to do for you what you can't do for yourself. He actually is ready to listen to you no matter what you have to say. And he wants to give you peace. And so God, our, the ball is in our court this morning. It's up to us if we're going to lay aside the walls of resistance and throw away our fears and our, our concerns and just allow you to be who you are, God in our lives. Lord, there are people here who need to receive you as Savior. Somebody is here who's lost. And they need to make that initial decision. 
Lord, come into my life. Jesus, come into my heart and save me. Lord, there's a larger number of us who are already saved. But boy, we need some hope. We need some peace. We need to know that we have a God who listens, a God who's present, a God who will. Lord, move in us by your Spirit. Do by your Spirit what we cannot do. What we cannot manufacture, what we cannot produce, what we cannot manipulate to be done. Will you do it? In Jesus' name, amen.